Hey everyone, Tony and John welcoming you back to King's Talk presented by Cap City Crown. It's been it's been about a month since we've done one of these episodes. Uh, you know, mid-August to mid-September was kind of a slow time for King's News, but with training camp a week away and um, you know, just like it's just kind of starting to feel like basketball season again. It's you live in the Sacramento area. It's been raining the last couple of days. Football season started, which, you know, always kind of feels like a precursor uh, for basketball season. So we're back. Thanks for joining us. And uh, John, what's up? What's going on? Oh, man. Uh, well, you know, if I wasn't excited already, that lead up uh, that was uh, pretty exhilarating. Uh, this is probably the best time of the year, I think, in the sports world. Um, and if you also like if you like autumn, if you like autumn colors. Uh, it's just a, it's a perfect time of year. So I'm um, definitely got a little pep in my step these days. Um, and there's plenty to talk about with the Kings. I mean, I think you're right for the last month. Uh, I don't know if we found it 100% worth it to wring out every little detail. Um, so, you know, come back refreshed, ready to talk about the season and ready to dive into things. Um, there's a lot to talk about. Um, training camp starts uh tuesday the 27th so you know that is right around the corner there week away Uh, yeah and uh (laughs) you're right and uh you know uh there's plenty at the top of the roster to talk about plenty at the bottom of the roster to talk about um we pretty much we know the 20 guys that are be uh at a training camp and you could almost say something or have a storyline or something to focus on for each person or sets of players maybe. Um, because, you know, I think for the first time in a long time, this is a Kings team going into camp and this says nothing about what they're going to be able to do this season, but just matter of fact that this team is better. It has a better distribution of talent. It's more well-rounded. It definitely has more depth than in recent years. And it feels completely different. And a lot of that is predicated off the fact that Monty McNair made his swing for the fences last February and made some moves this offseason. And um, I don't know. I mean, there's reasons to be excited just by the start of sports. But for this particular season, for Kings fans or for anybody that has an eye on the Sacramento Kings, um, it's particularly exciting. But, um, you know. I don't know if you wanted to start anywhere on that kind of roster situation going into camp, but, um, you know, it feels kind of silly, you know, kind of calling these roster battles. But uh, one of the ones that maybe is the, you know, closest to actually being fairly designated as that is the um, competition, if you will, for the third point guard role uh, between Matthew Delavadova and Quinn Cook. Um, I don't know if you want to talk about the importance of, of, of that or who you think has the edge or um, what you're looking forward to uh, 
um, seeing from these guys in camp. Uh, this is kind of free flowing. Camp hasn't started yet, so we're still kind of yeah. floating, not attached to the ground. No, I think I did even before we get into the battles, um, you know, the position battles like the third point guard or the battle between Moneke, Akpala, and uh, Merrill. I think, you know, you were kind of mentioning this roster, how it's looked as good as it has in a long time. Um, I think just having these battles uh, for that third point guard in that 15th roster spot, I think that's very telling of, you know, what this team is and the talent they have on their team. I feel like the last couple of years, you know, during this playoff drought, it, there there are no roster battles for that third point guard spot. You just sign a guy that would want to come to the Kings or, you know, that's available or, um, you know, you, you don't really have to worry that for that 15 spot, you just have to find someone and fill it in. And I don't know. I, I think that's a good sign that there are battles. We Kings really aren't used to any kind of battles for a roster that's spot. A, so it's an excellent point. Yeah. So I think that's encouraging to look forward to, um, or it's just encouraging. And, um, and their roster bottles, like like kind of you're alluding to, that are kind of bottom into the roster. Like, there's a lot of things that you can feel very sure about. I mean, like, we'll talk about it later, but it's like shuffling out how minutes get distributed between the three very talented shooting guards they have on this team. That's interesting. That could almost be considered a battle in some way. But, like, in terms of, like, guys battling for a spot on the roster, um, it's all at the bottom of it and you're just kind of filling it out you're really getting down to good detail here and like you said you're not just carrying over a bunch of guys from your summer league team or whatever's happening or counting on a bunch of guys that have had careers in the g league or at the end of benches uh i don't know i mean you're absolutely right i think that that is an illustration of itself and man like you'd be blind you just you could feel it man it just feels different um completely um, but, uh, kind of onto that, if you wanted to transition into that, uh, Quinn Cook, Matthew Della Vadova, uh, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that or the third point guard role in general? Well, the third point guard role in general, you know, it's not the most important role, obviously it's a third point guard, but, um, you know, Fox, he's dealt with injuries the last couple of years. He's been in the league. Mitchell was, I want to say relatively healthy his rookie season i don't he i think he missed a little time but um you know of course if you need you know mitchell or fox go down you need to rely on this guy to you know play that backup point guard for however long that person's out so uh i mean it's kind of nice <laughs> cook or del vadova i don't think you can go wrong with either um you know, Cook, a little shorter than Del Vadova. I think he's the better shooter, uh, a little younger, too. Um, so, I mean, that's, you know, good. He's a couple-time NBA champ as well. And then you have Del Vadova, who's, uh, you know, a little older. Um, and, you know, is, can he make it back in the NBA? He hasn't been in the NBA for several years now. He's been in Australia. So, it's kind of just like, could he make it if he's back in the league? Um, I bet he could. He's he's the better defender, a little taller, like I was saying. You know, that's good matchup wise, and uh, he seems to be shooting the three ball well in Australia, so that's an encouraging sign. You know, it, it's not NBA, and Quinn Cook does have more recent NBA experience than Delvadova, and has proven to shoot that three ball pretty well. So, um, I mean, at the end of the day, 
I don't, I don't, I don't think it matters too much um, who you go with. I think if you're looking on defense, you go with Del Vadova. Um, and, you know, he has that Mike Brown connection. He kind of has that, you know, dog in him, if you mm-hmm. will. Um, good locker room guy, good guy who, um, you know, just a hustler, a grinder. And so, you know, the Kings are trying to build a culture and Del Vadova definitely encompasses that culture in him. So, and I'm a big Delhi fan, not a big Delhi fan, but you know, that the 2000, what, 14, 2015 finals, was it? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's the I mean, one, wait, the one where, that's the first one where the Warriors and Kings, yeah. or not Kings, Warriors and Cavs played, uh, where they, the Cavs lost, but he in game, was it two and three or one and two, just like harassed. Just, yeah. Completely. Uh, Steph Curry, and it affected him. I mean, like, it's not like Steph Curry got like shut down, but it, he affected him. I mean, shoot, he was not efficient from a uh, three point line or really anywhere, I don't think, in that game. Yeah. And, and I mean, do you want to give the really credit? I, re- I remember, yeah, he, he from exhaustion and yeah. cramps and stuff. It's crazy. And, uh, it is. That guy literally put himself in a hospital bed because he worked so hard. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, I mean, it was one of those things where it's like, if you were rooting for the Warriors or a fan of the Warriors, you hated that guy. It's just like, that is always a sign that that's a good player. Yeah. <laughs> you know, generally. But I think what you're kind of saying there is like, the, there's not a lot that different. There are some things that differentiate between these two players, but not a ton. Like either one would be a good pick is what you're saying. And I think you're hundred percent right. Cook's 29. Della Vadova's 32. Um, Cook, the three-point shooting. One of the things that uh, James Ham said uh, uh, was that he, uh, for Quinn Cook this offseason, his main focus is working on his three-point shooting. So as long as that pays off, I think that probably gives him the edge. But at the end of the day, albeit he's not super long, Della Vadova is a little taller than him and can, you know, is a little more defensively versatile in that sense. But, you know, as much of a dog and a tenacious guy as Della Vadova is, Quinn Cook is as well. Um, and, you know, it'd be interesting to see. It'd just be nice, I think, in this sense, especially for the role that they're playing for, it'd be nice to see. It'd be interesting and just kind of pleasant to sit back and watch um, them duke it out, um, for lack of a better way of putting that. But, you know, I think Quinn Cook has a few edges there. And I think also um, Ham also said that uh, or alluded to the fact that Quinn Cook has, I think, a better injury history. So mm. if you're talking about a situation where you need somebody that you can depend on to fill in, if what if Fox misses a week or two or three, or, you know, whims if Mitchell, you know, gets hurt or something, you need a guy to step up. You don't want them to get hurt. You don't want them to be prone to injury. And definitely the age factor factors into that as well. 29 versus, I mean, uh, Delavidova just turned 32. Um, to be fair to Cook, he'll be 30 in March, but he's 29 right now for the bulk of the season. So I think that's a big difference. Um, yeah, but it, and it's interesting. I think to add on to Cook, and, and you know, I mentioned that uh, Della Vadova has that. I, don't, I think I mentioned it that Della Vadova, you know, played under Mike Brown when Mike Brown came back um, for a second stint in Cleveland. But um, Cook, you know, Cook was. He was on the, not the Kings, but the Stockton Kings last year. So, you know, he's familiar with the organization. He's been here. I mean, you could almost say he put in his time to earn this spot. So yeah, he um, might have a better relationship with players in general. I know that both yeah. the guys, because they were working out for the Kings 
in Vegas reportedly. Both of the guys showed up to summer league games and sat with Kings players. Um, I don't know. I the only way I saw Della Vadova sitting with players, but I think was through a picture because I think I watched all those summer league games. And if I remember correctly, I think I only caught Della Vadova sitting with the players in a picture. But Quinn Cook like was in a footage, and I, I can't speak for how chummy Della Vadova was with the rest of the guys, but on that front, Cook, Cook seemed very comfortable with the guys he was sitting with. Um, I can't remember exactly who it was, but you know. I rem- yeah, I, I know which picture you're referencing. I don't remember yeah. exactly <laughs> who it was Delva, either. But the Televadova picture, a picture, you know, it's not, you know, a picture at an event like that, like you could, it doesn't tell anywhere near what you need to know. But uh, it just, Televadova's just kind of sitting there. <laughs> kinda, I don't know. I mean, it's good that they showed up. I mean, at least. Absolutely. And they're hanging yeah. out with the guys. I mean, they definitely, they're, they're this, that's what, you know, we're, one of the things here, it's just like both these guys are very viable candidates. Um, it'd be, it'd be interesting. Um, but yeah, uh, cook probably has the edge, um, in that regard and all those mm-hmm. factors. But, um, you know, uh, I guess the other kind of people that are duking it out for a spot, because when you funnel it down, what the Kings have, uh, 13 guaranteed or four, uh, they have 12 guaranteed contracts. Kent Bazemore should be the 13th. Mm-hmm. You'll have the 14th be the third point guard, whoever it is. And so that leaves one more spot on the roster, albeit again, it's an inactive spot. But you essentially have, because I wouldn't really, I think with the two way guys, Nemish Takeda and uh, Keon Ellis, you sign guys to two way deals so they can play in the G League and nobody can poach them and you can pull them up whenever you need to at any time. Um, so those guys aren't probably not going to be taking that spot, especially in an active spot. Um, so it's really between Chima Moneke, KZ Okpala, and, uh, Sam Merrill. And each of them are interesting and they all kind of bring with them kind of their own sort of, uh, advantages and maybe disadvantages as well. Um, and, you know, just kind of like macro view uh we can get into the specifics in a second it's like you have chima moneke who's never played in the nba um kind of a wild card i think was the word you'd use to describe him and you know has a chance to be kind of an energy guy you have casey okpala who's a freak athlete great defender if he could just put together some shooting he would be the complete package and then you have sam merrill the uh sharp shooting a uh, 6'4 shooting guard um, that is a subpar defender. Um, we kind of know what you're going to get from him, but he's he's really an excellent and proven three-point shooter. So he might have probably the edge, but like just broad view characterizations, that's kind of the layout there. But, um, you know, we can go through one of these guys, but I don't know if you have, is there a particular guy that you're kind of not necessarily betting on or, but maybe one that you think has the best upside or someone that you're kind of rooting for or anything like that out of those three i mean if you guys have been following up with the articles um that john writes he wrote a really good one yesterday morning on casey akpala and just his insane defensive upside um dude it seems like he can almost guard all five positions he's listed at six 
eight, six nine. What's he listed at? Six nine. He's, he's listed at six eight, but six eight. But when he's standing next to Durant, he's yeah. you know he's about Durant's size, and uh, you know Durant's. I mean, Durant forever was listed at six nine, but then he was he would stand next to Demarcus Cousins, and he was taller than Cousins, and Cousins was listed at six eleven. It's it's always so weird. I, the heights. I feel like the heights in the NBA are just Very all fudged anyway. But he's a, yeah. a he's a tall guy. Um, he can guard on the perimeter. Seven two seven two wingspan. Yeah, seven two up. wingspan. Yeah, no, that's that's crazy. And um, guard on the perimeter, he can you know deny shots inside. Is he can do it all really on defense? And I mean, <laughs> I mean, the Kings need defense, right? That's one thing they've needed forever. And yeah, maybe this guy won't play the most, but who knows? Maybe. I don't know. He just seems like a good guy to have in your back pocket. Davion Mitchell, you know, is already that good defensive guy. Maybe Akpali can find some minutes here and there with injuries, and you just throw him on the best guy and just let him lock him down. Um, but then, of course, it's the uh, his offensive side that you know has some questions. He's he's athletic, so you know he can go up for oops and you know get to the basket on some cuts, but. His shooting, I think he's shooting around 27% from three in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Um, I think last year he shot around 36, which is encouraging. But again, these are all for his offense, very small sample size. And um, if he really wants to find a, a place on this team, I mean, if, if he really wants to secure a spot on this team, I should say, if he can demonstrate a very efficient three-point shot during training camp, I, I think it's his to lose. But only in that case, I think his defense is just that good. Yeah, I think um, I think we might have alluded to this. He has the biggest upside, just for the freak athleticism. And like you're saying, if you could just get that shooting, if you could just shoot 35 percent somewhere around there, just be effective on a wide open attempt, um, keep defenses honest then he can be a factor out there. He does other things that can make a huge difference. Um, as you're saying, he's a great defender, does guard all five positions. He kind of has like a, I w- in like highlights you can see from like his limited moments playing in Miami. Um, you can see he can kind of be like a roving rim protector. He's not like an imposing big guy, but he can come up behind you. He can move quickly and fluidly, much in the way that kind of Damian Jones was a rim protector for this team. Um, he just moves well, and he's smart and instinctual. And I think with Akpala, especially, he has he's just extremely gifted at being able to get into spring into action so so swiftly. Um, and you know, he, at the same time, he has battled with guys like uh, Vucevic in Chicago and, and kind of, you know, he's not like barreling them back or anything or pancaking anybody, but (laughs) you know, he's hanging with them. And, um, you know, I think he has so much upside on that. And obviously, and then even on offense outside the perimeter, he has some ability, you know, as a long springy guy to be effective in the pick and roll game as a role man. Uh, he has pretty decent touch, it seems like, from around the rim. Sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes it's kind of awkward. Um, so it's not perfect. He'll need to perfect that and really prove that he can be effective um, in that role. Uh, as, of course, it's like he has a huge uphill battle for that to be even like a primary option for the offense or anything like that. But, you know, there's something to work with there. And then even on the three-point shooting front, what he'd need to do 
is do catch and shoot attempts. Uh, he'd be in a free flowing passing offense where you have penetration and from Fox and uh, Sabonis uh, running things from the high post or even the low post. Um, he might end up with a lot of open looks in the corner or on the wing or from the top, and he needs to hit those. And it seems like, you know, I think he is shooting about – he's a shooting under 30% in the NBA. I know that, or around there, and um, from three. And if, you know, he or of the ones that he is hitting, he's already hitting those types of ones. So he has a comfort level with what he needs to do. And speaking of comfort level, I would say the one added element that's really interesting about Akpala is that – you know, he got drafted, what, uh, two years ago and uh, in, in 2019, I think. Yeah. Uh, or and I think uh, it was so 19, yeah. It was right before the pandemic hit. And so this year, that year, he got traded like a little bit after the draft. It wasn't directly after the draft, but it was after a certain threshold where he couldn't participate in summer league for the team he got traded to, which I think was Miami. Um, and then the next year with the pandemic uh, having happened, um, there was no summer league. And then the, this past summer, which is his last eligible year, I believe, to be in the summer league, um, he was awful because the, the, the Heat supposedly, I would, I would assume, wanted to see him hit threes. They wanted to see him do that. So he was shooting a lot of threes. They were setting up a lot of threes. And he just putting up these horrible percentages and not utilizing him to the things that I was alluding to, what he can do closer to the basket offensively. And again, it's not like I'm a scout or anything. Like I read Miami heat writers saying that. So it's like, I'm just accumulating from, you know, all the free time I have uh, to do <laughs> that stuff. But, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I guess what I'm saying is like, now it's like, he's coming to a situation where he's going to, you know, he didn't get to do any summer league or anything like that, but there was no bumps in the road in this off season. He got uh, his, Basically, he's offered to come to training camp and fight for a spot. He's rejoining Mike Brown, who coached him at the Olympics. And, you know, he has an opportunity to kind of – he has a runway here to take off if he's destined to do that. So, you know, upside is huge with him, and he has an opportunity to fulfill it to some degree at least. And uh, I think he's a guy that is interesting to keep an eye on, especially out of all three. Um, but – uh. I don't know if you want to add anything on Akpala. Um, no, not really. I think you said it well. I mean, he has the best upside. Uh, and, I, I mean, it seems like he has the most NBA experience as well. So, mm-hmm. um, and like you said, to transition over, he was coached by Mike Brown during the Olympics. And just like another guy, Chima Moneke, who's, again, fighting for this spot, uh, 15th roster spot, um, can you give us a little more detailed breakdown of Moneke and what you see in him? Yeah, uh, Moneke is the like we said, he's the wild card. He has never played in the NBA. Um, he played at UC Davis for two years. Um, played overseas. He was cut. Um, I think in the like second tier French league after like three games in his rookie year. Signed with another team. Moved up eventually to the top French league and then to the Spanish league. Uh, last year with a team called Baxi Manresa. And, uh, you know, he seems like in, you know, European play, he's a pretty effective player. He's far more athletic than a lot of those guys. Um, He is a huge spark of energy. Um, He's able to hit threes. I think he's hitting threes in Europe, like around 30 or 35%. I don't have the percentages in front of me right now, but 
um, you know, that's decent, but it's like, how does that translate to the NBA? That, that usually doesn't usually directly translate. And it definitely doesn't usually translate with a huge improvement, or at least you shouldn't bet on that. Um, but he's athletic. He does some things that are great. He's like, I said, he's an energy guy. He plays pretty good defense. Um, he's pretty smart. Uh, but I think the thing that's really riding that, that he has to his, his to his advantage, I guess, is the fact that like he could really become as and he said this himself. He really thinks he could become a fan favorite here um, because he was at an event a few weeks ago, I think, at the Golden One Center. I think it might have been like a charity event or something. And he was there and people were like asking for autographs and pictures and they knew who he was and stuff like that. And that surprised him. And, you know, he played at UC Davis. He's uh born to Nigerian parents out of Australia. Um, but he went to UC Davis and, uh, you know, uh, so he's familiar with the area. Uh, he's kind of got that underdog mentality. I know that you've mentioned this a few times, Tone, where people, one of the things people like about Chemezi Metu is he's just constantly an underdog fighting for minutes, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a bit. Um, you know, people like that. They're rooting for that. And I think Maneke can really embrace that role. And, Think about all the energy guys. Think about the Quincy Aces, the Reggie Evans. Uh, think about how Rashawn Holmes got the love of, you know, the whole Sacramento fan base. Uh, he, they were sparks of energy. They were exciting. They just, they were, they lit the fuse, you know, and um, he can do that. And I think, again, for him, it's similar to Akpala, kind of comes down to three-point shooting. Can he be effective? Because you can't just go out, like, it's not like he's, he's going to, He's only 6'6". Six, six. Um, he can play multiple positions, but it's not like he's super imposing or it's not like he's going to shut down, you know, guys like a Kapala can. Um, so it's like it's really dependent that he can hit threes because you're not just going to – I mean, you might be able to – maybe you could speak on this, but it's like, I don't know, like an energy guy could probably be very useful being used very limitedly. Like maybe like, I don't know, a few minutes a night in the sometime in the second quarter maybe or something like that maybe i'm kind of being a little optimistic there but i don't know how much he would have to play to be effective as an energy guy but that would be his path i think to the roster and his biggest benefit um just being a fan favorite i don't know if you could answer that question though because i can't really think of it i mean like i think metu if anything last year he was an energy guy he would come in Especially when he was coming off the bench in those limited minutes he would get. I saw him as more of that energy guy because he would throw down the dunks, you know? Yeah, and the alley-oops. The alley-oops, exactly. And, you know, that not only does that hype up your team, but especially if it's a home game, it hypes up the crowd. And, of course, you always want the crowd into it. And, you know, that that's helpful in its own. And just giving off some energy, uh, it can be contagious. And, um, I mean, I think that's the biggest upside of an energy guy. Um, with Moneke, Moneke compared to Akpala and Merrill, it's just like, you know what Akpala brings? It's going to be defense. You know what Merrill brings? It's going to be shooting. And so it's like, well, you know, like this, and then Moneke, what he brings is energy and kind of, you know, he's like got all, some defense too. Yeah. And some got length some and athleticism. Yeah. And, um, I don't know. It's just a little, a little harder to for me personally to see him getting this last spot just because I, I think at this point at that 15th spot, you have to be great at something or at least you stand out in an aspect. And 
Akpala, like I said, defense and Merrill shooting. I think that's where Moneke lacks that, like that it factor for him. And um, I mean, yeah, fan favorite. That's awesome. And him going to Davis is really cool, but I mean, I don't know. Right. I mean, is it enough? Exactly. Is, is that enough? I mean, it feels like that's his to fans, at least like his biggest, like what he brings, I guess. And so I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't see think... if, let's see if he can be the Cinderella story, huh? Yeah. I, I mean, think it would be great. It. Yeah, yeah, it would be great. Rooting for the guy. I'm rooting for all of them. And, you know, Moneke seems like a great guy. And he seems like a guy who actually wants to be here. And it's not like, oh, like Sacramento signed me. Um, <laughs> you know, let me fight for a spot. It's like, man, like I'm fighting for a spot in Sacramento. Like, mm-hmm. that's awesome. We, and you, saw so... the po- you saw the post he, he put on Twitter after he... Um, the announcement of his signing happened in July. Um, he was, he seemed like, I mean, he, this is, he, this is something he's fighting for. You could just kind of feel it. You could feel the magnitude of how important and how much this means to him. Um, Cause he mentioned the fact that he got cut early on in France and you know, how much he's had to work at it. And like I said, you know, like <laughs> born to Nigerian parents in Australia, having to come try to compete in America and then, you know, not having any, you know, offers or any opportunity to play in the NBA, really, and just going overseas. Like, he's, this is, he's taking the, the hardest possible route you could take to the NBA. And the fact that he's getting an invitation to camp, I mean, like, man, I mean, that's, that's impressive. So, but like, again, it's like, in terms of like, what you can offer production wise, he's definitely has the least convincing uh answer but you know he's he's he could be a fun guy and <laughs> he's explosive his dunk like watching his dunks i mean like they he's slamming them down uh, he's crazy he's always doing funny faces in the camera he could be a really interesting almost marketing piece maybe but he yeah. really have to prove that he's doing other things um and he probably has the biggest uphill battle as he said but um in terms of like knowing what you're gonna get because Maneke is the guy that you know the least about. We know the least of what we're going to get out of him, what he's going to be able to show. The guy that is probably the most predictable is the guy that's 25 years old that did a missionary trip between high school and college, um, is a you know 25 and a third-year player in the NBA, which is pretty ripe for the NBA as a third year. And, uh, you know, doesn't necessarily have a ceiling that's expanding in any way. And it isn't super high, but what he offers is certainly a luxury in this league. And that's three point shooting. And Sam Merrill really does that. Uh, He shot 42% in college in 36 NBA games, 30 uh, in his rookie year with Milwaukee, where he won a championship. Um, (laughs) And six in his second year with Memphis before he got waived. Um, He's shooting 40%. And I think he was shooting like 43% in the first 30 games, like with, uh, Milwaukee, he was tearing it up, um, from three, like he can, he's, he, he going into camp, just strictly talking about three point shooting. He's actually one of the best players there. And, um, that's a big deal. And in terms of like a 15th spot, like we're talking about like the third spot having to take over for, um, you know, one of the point guards for the third point guard spot, having to take over for Fox or Mitchell, if they get hurt. Well, think about the fact that, well, 
like what if you, you have shooters in Herder Monk, uh, Davis, uh, you know, Barnes and Murray, I guess also you would say. Like if you needed that extra punch from three-point land, if one or two of those guys is out for a period of time or for a game or something, and you need that extra floor stretcher, I mean, Merrill's the perfect guy. I mean, he'd be the guy to do it. And this team has put such a focus on three-point shooting um, that he would be perfect for that. But then at the same time, too, they also want to put such a focus on defense. And at 6'4", his wingspan's never been posted, but, you know, why post it if it's extremely average? <laughs> so, <laughs> sounds like a euphemism for something. <laughs> That's probably good. Just write that down, boys. Um, but, uh, you know, it, uh He's kind of a liability on defense. But in terms of that 15 spot, what do you be able to do filling in for a shooter? Like he'd be great at that. And he's kind of a sure thing in that regard. You know what you're going to get. It's not super dynamic, but what he does is well. And in to be fair to him, too, he's also a good, pretty good ball handler, good passer, good understanding of the game. He can be a handler in the pick and roll or even do a pick and pop thing. Um, his shooting is such a big... I mean, it's so good that he actually becomes a factor for defenders where if he's running the pick and roll, um, you know, he can step back if defend if defenders are going to be stupid and let him shoot a three. He can draw a double team and hit the open roller or he can even pre- I mean, he's not an explosive or anything like that. He's not ex- an exceptional ball handler. But like if defense, if the defense kind of, you know, gives him a gap, he can get in there and he's really good with his floater and he's not like again, explosive or exceptional around the rim, but you know, he can do some things and surprise you. So he's not to be messed with. He knows his strengths and he plays to him on offense and he can be very useful. It wouldn't like, you wouldn't just be getting a shooter. You know, you wouldn't just be getting like a, I don't know, like Mike Dunleavy or something like that. You know, like you'd be getting, uh, you'd be getting the guy that could really be dynamic on offense. But again, the defense is a question, but um, he's probably got the upper hand going into camp. I would say, you think so? Over Akpala? Just for that reason. Just because, like, Akpala, there's still like a, eh, he's, eh he kind of needs to shoot. Like, Merrill, it's like, you're not expecting him to play defense. You're never going to expect him to play defense. So it's just like, you know, like I said, you know what you're going to get from him. And I think that you might need to plug in shooting more than you need to plug in defense. Because I think this team, yeah, it doesn't have, like, a bunch of exceptional defenders. You have guys that have defensive, like they're defensively average with upside, like guys like Kevin Herter or um, even Darren Fox. Like I would say that he has upside to be a really good defender. Like if Mike Brown can get the system going, it's not so much about having freak athletes coming in to play defense. It's about guys that can come in and play team defense. And when you think about the awareness and kind of fundamentally sound game that Merrill plays, Again, he's not going to go out there and like, especially against guys on the perimeter, they're probably going to blow by him a lot of the time. He's still going to be like an effective and do the best he can. He plays hard in in terms of team defense. So I just think that for that reason, like he's got the out, he's got the edge going in. Um, Akpala could easily take it from him, but you know, he's got to show it first. You know what I mean? No, I, I mean, I totally get you. Shooting's at a premium in the NBA, and he's proven that he can, you know, be an effective shooter. So, um, no, I totally get it. I, and I can see why he could easily be the leader um, for this 15th and final roster spot. So, um, I mean, you know, with Fox and Sabonis on this team, like, 
Yeah, you need defense, and Akpala provides that. But no, I agree. I mean, you need guys to hit shots on the perimeter if, you know, Davis or Herter or Monk go down, and you need to bring in a guy who can, you know, hit some wide-open looks. Uh, you know, Merrill's that guy out of the three. So, and, and something else you mentioned, and I didn't realize or I didn't put it together, was that um, Sam Merrill won a championship on the Bucks, And so it's like, going back onto the Kings culture and they're trying to, you know, establish this winning culture. I mean, you got Merrill, you know, these guys fighting for these, these five guys fighting for the last two roster spots. You got Merrill who, you know, you said won a championship with the Bucks. You got Akpala who went to the NBA finals and, you know, with the heat, but lost to the Lakers. You got Cook and Della Vadova who are NBA and did, did, Della Vadova won an NBA championship, right? With the yeah, he won it with the second year. And I think Cook won it with... Didn't Cook win in 2020 with the Lakers too? Yeah, he won with 2020 the Lakers. And, um, and I think he won one with the Warriors. Yeah, 2018 with the Warriors. Yeah, and so it's like... Yeah, these guys aren't going to be like the leaders of this team or anything. But at least they know what like a winning culture looks like. And can definitely add value in that. And it's a young team. And the, and some of those guys, especially Cook and Della Vadova, and I mean, like, I don't know, the other three guys, I guess, are not young. I mean, they're not old or experienced. Yeah. But um, especially Cook and Della Vadova, I mean, like, like, think about, like, the veteran presence on this team. Like, you have Harrison Barnes. You have maybe Alex Lynn, but it's not like Alex Lynn is, like, an overt leader. You know, he's kind of just a, a kind of a rock as that third center. Um but, uh, you know, you kind of need that other bookend to Harrison Barnes in a way. And Harrison Barnes can only do so much. He's almost a better leader by example in just the way he takes care of himself. You know, I don't know if he necessarily is a like a super vocal guy. Correct me if I'm wrong. But, you know, like I think both Del Vadova and Quinn Cook could be very beneficial for that locker room. Now, I guess that's just kind of adding on to when we were talking about them. But it's a young team. And so that that stuff is important. Um because, you know, what's talent if you don't have that culture that you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very true. Um, if you don't mind me, um, I mean, do you have more to say on Merrill? I don't know. I was, don't you know, we, we, you know, we talked about these five guys so much. And, um, you know, the, the, those are for the last two spots. And so you can only i mean there's 15 spots but you can only have 13 active and just for simplicity's sake let's say like you know let's just let's just agree one of these guys gets a job like Merrill we'll say Merrill gets that 15 spot and we'll say um i i mean it might change between uh you know if depending on who we choose for these last spots but like who who do you think's suiting up you know, the third. You know, you can have thirteen guys suit up each night and two inactives. And so, who are, who are the thirteen guys each night? Well, you can definitely say that whoever that fifteenth spot is is one of the inactive guys. Mm. The other inactive, because like think about you're not going to make any of your guards inactive. I mean, aside from maybe the third point guard, which we'll all address in a second. But uh, you know, Fox Mitchell, Herder Monk. And uh, Davis are not going to be inactive. Barnes and Baysmore, you need Baysmore, um, regardless if he's not going to be playing to the top potential, even though a bounce back year is probably more likely. Um, 
uh, well, well, uh <laughs> the guy Murray, Lyles, yeah, Keegan Murray, Trey Lyles. Um, and then, uh, you have, you probably carry two, maybe three centers. Um, I think you carry three. I think, I think you yeah. carry, Sabonis. they carried, they always carried, Sabonis. um, you, you're always carrying, they were carrying Len with the other two, yeah. uh, you know, late last year. So I would expect that to kind of be the same. So what is that? You're basically leaving That's 12. You're, you're either going to make the third point guard inactive or you're going to make Chemezi Metu inactive. And I would almost be tempted to say that Chemezi Metu, you know, probably like it depends how much they feel comfortable with maybe other guards or other people facilitating, but I don't know if they feel comfortable with that. So they might want to be carrying that third point guard as an insurance policy. Cause those last two guys, anyways, even if they are active, the last two, three, maybe even four guys that are active. Sometimes they're not even in the nightly rotation or even in the plan for the night, you know? So it's like they probably would want to do that. I think Chemezi Metu realistically is kind of, again, like he's always, it seems like he was like this last year. He's just on the outside looking in and he's, he's always relevant because he's interesting and he had, he brings a lot of things to the table and he, he seems like such a, an intriguing, like, I don't want to call him like a prospect, but um, you know, young player, he's an intriguing young player. And like we always say, and like we said about some of these other guys, if they can, if he can just like really be like a, a consistent shooter, you know, like, man, like that would be, that'd be amazing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for that reason that he's not, I mean, that, that, that really limits him. Um, I think he's just kind of the third power forward. And I don't know if you really carry the third power forward in an, on, uh, into an active, as the active, as an active player on a nightly basis. I mean, what do you think? Um, I mean, it. I think it's definitely between Metu and Delavadova and Cook, like you said. Um, I don't know. It's kind of. I mean, I doubt either of them will play that much, and so I don't know if it would matter too much. I could, right. I could see Metu playing more if he was on the roster compared to Delavadova and Cook. Um. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like maybe you want the insurance at that backup point guard spot, and you decide to take that third point guard instead. Um, I think to start off, I think Metu's that thirteenth spot, just because. I mean, I don't know. I quit. It's not like Cook and Delavadova aren't experienced players. They've they've been in the NBA. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. It'd be weird to just cut out Metu like this after being on the Kings for the last what two three years. And I, I was going to mention, that, and I think you're kind of getting there. Like it would be, I feel like you're talking about the fact that those guys are older. They've been around. They're going to be able to adjust if they're not suiting up every night. You know, it might be better for like, like Metu's. I don't want to. I don't know the guy, but like it might be better for his confidence. You know, yeah. if he's suiting up and that and. I would imagine that's not going to be the same. They might, it might change night to night, you know, uh, who's active. Um, but, you know, if they think in a particular matchup that they maybe would like to have a, a little extra size or something like that, they, they definitely might want met to more often than not. Um, but I, that's an interesting point. Cause, cause and I don't know if you were going to say that, but I just thought about that. It's just like, yeah, maybe it has something to do with like the confidence of a fairly young player that has not found his footing in this league. I mean, he's had moments where he has, even down the stretch last year, when he got opportunities after the Sabonis injury, 
um, he looked pretty good at times. And he had he had some of those, you know, Mezzi Mamba moments, you know, <laughs> where he'd just go off. Um, but it's like how often and how frequent can he tap into that? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I'm not, honestly, I'm not the biggest Matthew guy. I think he gets a lot of hype for some reason. I've never understood it. I just, I don't know. He, he jacks up way too many threes for me and misses the majority of them. And it just kind of pisses me off. Yeah, um, he's got that. He's, he has the Mamba mentality, but it's like only sometimes is he following through. Exactly. And only sometimes does he deserve the Mezzi Mamba. Yeah. And it's, I, I don't want that guy on my, on the floor. If he's just going to, if he thinks he can shoot and, but he really can't, but he doesn't stop shooting. It's just, to me, it's a liability at that point. And, uh, I don't know. It's, I don't know. I think it's, it just, could be, it could be interesting. Cause you're, we are talking about a situation where even if he is active playing time is going to be sparse no matter what. Yeah. So but in, in that mm-hmm. kind of killer mentality, whether it's phony or legitimate or somewhere in between, like that could be like, like when was if you're having a terrible offensive night, you know, and you just like, I don't know, like maybe you're looking for just a solution just quickly with like a second unit in and you're not getting production from some scorers off the bench or something like that. And you're just like, I'm just going to put in Metu. Like, doesn't Metu seem like the type of guy where he just like, oh, my God, did you see Metu in his first game of the season, three weeks in, he scored 20 off the bench. <laughs> like, he's the type of freaking son of a bitch to do that. Yeah, I, I mean, not is. saying that he's going to do that, but, you know, something to that effect. It's just, I don't know. He's such a kind of, he could be like a, he could be lightning in a bottle, and sometimes he could just be an empty bottle. Mm-hmm. No, it's true. And like I said, he, like last year, he was a guy that was throwing down the oops. He was throwing down the dunks, getting the crowd into it, getting the team a little energized. And, you know, it's something you can't overlook. It, it's I think it's an important job to have. I think you need at least one of those guys on your team. Um, and he's the guy He's the guy at this moment who provides that. And, um, hey, I mean, he is lightning in a bottle. If he's if his shot's working, I mean, we saw that game against what? Who was it? The Magic or was it the Magic where he just like had a great game? For I think it game? was the Magic. Yeah, and he had like a good. It was game. either the Magic or the Pacers game. Yeah, too. yeah, I think so too. I was thinking the Pacers as well. But anyways, like he had a great first half. I think he scored like twenty points in the first half or something, or pretty close to that. And. Um, I mean, if that shot's falling, he, he's definitely shown that he has some skill. He's not just, I mean, I don't, I don't like calling him a three point shooter. Cause I don't think he's good enough, but he like takes enough attempts where it's like, all right, what are you doing? But I mean, around shooter's the ground, mentality. exactly. Is that shooter's mentality and they can fall sometimes, but, um, he's also decent around the post, uh, around the basket. He has, he always surprises me with his post moves. I'm like, okay, like. You don't seem like a guy who has that in your bag, but he has some good posts, you know, moves in the post. And, uh, you know, he can run well with a team, especially a young team. Um, he can rebound decently. His defense is whatever, nothing special. But, um, you know, he, he definitely has his qualities. And I think I like that lightning in a bottle. Like, he definitely has that X factor to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was against the Pacers. He had 22 points. Pacers, okay. Yeah, and um, he <laughs> – I think one of the things, too, that's interesting about Metu, um, I think someone pointed this out on something, I don't know, something to do with Cap City Crown. 
um, that he had like the highest defensive win share, um, which is kind of weird because he's like, like I'm not going to call him a bad defender, but he's not like, <laughs> I never look at him and go like, wow, that guy's like shutting people down. But he has moments where he has, he shows like good hands. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like he'll come up with a steal or something like that. Like he has these moments defensively and it's just like, it seems like every aspect of his game is just that lightning in a bottle kind of energy, I guess, or kind of characteristic. And it's just, I don't know. It's interesting, but um, you'd, you'd like to see him just put it all together maybe. Um, and I don't know. I don't even know if he's cut for that. Cause if we're talking about a situation where we're keeping him on the roster, just to keep his confidence up or keeping him active, I guess, suiting up every night to keep his confidence up. It's like, do you think his confidence is going to be up if he's not getting play time? And then if, when he does, cause he's rusty and he's not doing well. And then all of a sudden he's on the bubble of getting just completely just dumped. I mean, like, would you be surprised if Chemezi Metu is not on this team in February? No. Yeah, neither not at I. all. Yeah, yeah. So it's just like I don't know. I do. I think you mentioned it well. Like people like Metu, um, and so sometimes when you're looking through those rose-colored glasses, you're kind of like, yeah, like Chemezi, like legit. Like sometimes I'm counting like the legitimate NBA players on here, and like sometimes I have to go like, you know, like eleven or twelve or like ten or eleven, and I'm always like, no, Metu's not. Come on, be honest. Like no, he's not. You know, but for some reason, there's something that's captivating about him. I don't know. It's got a charm to him. I don't know what it is. Maybe, yeah. maybe it's that smile. I know. I mean, not to out you in front of everyone, but I know you're a, you know, newer. I don't even know if you're, you know, you're a Warriors fan growing up. And so. Um, a basketball fan. A basketball fan. Celtics, Warriors, whatever. Um, but yeah, I've just recently been getting into the Kings. But uh, yeah, like recently as in like a while. Like not not like last week. Like I don't want to make it seem like no no. And, and you're very knowledgeable on sports. And the, John's a great guy. Uh, I can vouch that as a lifelong Kings fan. But um, you know the King Kings fans seem to always like like I think before Matu, it was yeah. Harry Giles. And Harry Giles had a lot of uh, he had a lot of I guess potential coming out of college i think he he couldn't play his first year he had like a really bad injury he was like the number one prospect out of high school went to do got injured couldn't play his rookie year it's like all right this guy's they they, they compared him to chris weber right because mm-hmm. probably because he's on the kings and he's a big guy who could pass pretty well um and i think kings fans hear that and you know it's like chris weber comparing it to the best sacramento king of all time and then he he loved the city you know and that, that's it's it's you know something that doesn't happen in Sacramento a lot. When someone loves a city, it's like you love them just as much back. And um, but it's like after like the first couple of years, it's like all right, Harry Giles is really not that. I mean, he's like decent, but I mean Harry Giles isn't in the league for a reason, right? right. And if I'm not mistaken, Tone, like he what didn't they not like pick up his option or something by a deadline, so he just became an unrestricted free agent, and that was kind of a big story in the king's yeah. fan base and people were like oh why are you just letting him walk like what the hell and it's just like you like you said it's like is he even the league might not he's probably not is what you're saying no um, he's not and he's not and it's just like man case in point um so i see what you're saying yeah you know, for no reason exactly easy it's easy to do especially when you know these people bring you know everyone loves energy guys that's just a fact but Especially when they love the city and 
I, I don't know. I really don't understand the reason for Metu personally. I, just, I don't think he's that energetic, but I, I guess I just have like a grudge against this guy. But um, Metu is the guy right now who gets, you know, unconditional love for a reason. And, um, you know, once he's gone, someone will jump in and take his place. Yeah, and honestly speaking, if we're talking about Okpala shooting threes, he's not just taking the 15th spot on the roster. He's probably taking Chemezi Metu's job. I mean, he's taking that place when you think about it because all of a sudden now he's a more viable player to play than even him, which is something that we totally neglected to mention. But it's nice that we're talking about it in this chronological order because at the end of the day, I mean, Chemezi Metu might have – he's kind of in the same – group um, i mean like he has more nba experience and more experience with this team um so he has an edge there but it's like he's not far off from these other guys we're talking about being you know on the edge or at the bottom of the roster consideration you know so mm-hmm. that's just just be kept in mind probably especially if people are so jump you know like so you know happy about a guy or like high on a guy um but I don't know. There's a lot of other guys to get high on on this team, I think. I I think you bring up a good point. I mean, (laughs) just their names, Kimen Moneke and Chimezi Meti, they sound very similar, but they seem like very similar players, um, you know, themselves. They're just those energetic guys, a little small for the small power forward position, little undersized, but, you know, make up for it in other areas. They can stretch the floor a little. They can maybe outrun um, bigger guys and, that's a good point. If Moneki somehow does get this job, it, I think he just starts battling for that third point guard, or sorry, third power forward position against Matu. They're yeah, pretty and similar. It's, it's really Okpala, though. I mean, Okpala is the guy that's like, man, if he can put together the shooting, well, not only is he better than Merrill and, and Moneki, he's better than Metu. He's better than... He, he might even be... I'm not saying... I think he like Lyles would really have to suck from three-point land. And Okpala would have to be really good from three-point land for any kind of swap in minutes there. And I don't want to get super optimistic about Okpala or make it seem like any of this is going to happen. But it's like, if he can't hit that upside and he can shoot threes, it's not just that 15th spot. It's not even just Metu. It's like, you know, guys like Lyles and uh, Kent Bazemore, I mean, they might be they might be challenged for minutes by him. I guess like that's just something I neglected to even think about, you know? But no, you make a that's good point. A, that's, a, that's a great thing to have and think about going into camp, you know? Yeah, no, it, it truly is. It really is. I mean, you want you want all the competition you can get that will only bring out the best in, you know, everyone. They can bring out the best in a guy like Kent Bazemore who's looking to, you know, have that comeback season after, you know, having a terrible season in L.A. And that can really push Bazemore to – get back to his, you know, normal self or how he was maybe two, three years ago. And I mean, yeah. you, know, you know, you bring in these guys and that's true. It's not just, it's not just those five guys competing. It's, it pushes those guys towards, you know, the second stringers, you know, it'll push them to get better too. And, mm-hmm. you know, give them a little something to like, all right, like if I start slacking, you know, Paul is right behind me and he's ready. He's hungry to get that opportunity. Hell yeah. So, Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Heat up the competition because heat rises. It's only yeah. going to get better. Exactly, exactly. But it's I mean, exciting. It'll be fun. It's awesome training camp. It's going to happen. Yeah, and I think two more kind of things to focus on maybe. Um, and I'll just hit one at a time here. It's just uh, 
I think the interesting thing, and I think it's not like people are I, I've, the the two guard situation as we see it now. It seems like Herder will be the starter just because he has the best two way situation right now. Um, yeah, Monk seems like he'll be the kind of score off the bench, and then Davis will be you know with the lack of substantial depth on the wing. Davis and also just the mix of shooting guards will find ways to get in on the perimeter. Um, like guys will have minutes. Um, but you know, at one point, you know, and the very well could be that Herders just starts all 82 games and, you know, barring injury and is great for this team as the starting. And maybe they have the formula all figured out. Um, but I almost want to go out. No, I don't want to like say this is going to happen, but I just don't like kind of in a similar way where it's like, well, you know, Metu might be on the edge. I think something that should be like mentioned is it's like, I really wouldn't be surprised if by the end of the season, and again, I'm not saying this is going to happen, but I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of the season, Terrence Davis is the starting shooting guard on this team. I think a lot of things would have to happen. I, he would have to be shooting around 40%. He's already a good three point shooter, but he's, below the uh, expertise, if you will, of Herder and Monk, who are both about 40% shooters, 39 and 40. Um, and, you know, the only reason I say this is that if he's able to do that, if he's able to really kind of like flourish, and he's also going into a contract year, keep in mind, if he can really go into, I think he's going into a contract year, I think he is. Um, uh, you know, if he can generate, confidence and get a flow going and, and play well and you know really show that he's right up there offensively with these other two guys um i think it's he has a chance to really be the best you know option i mean again you know herder that's kind of you got to take that from herder at this point you got a lot to prove but uh we've mentioned this in the past one of the things that gets overlooked about terrence davis aside from Terrence Davis himself, is the fact that he has a 6'9 wingspan. He's only 6'5", I think, but he has a 6'9 wingspan. Um, advanced statistics have shown that he guards small forwards just as much as he guards shooting guards. You can use him uh, in a lot of different ways. He can be an effective defender. He can be versatile. I just think, I mean, I guess I, I would bet on the fact that Terrence Davis is going to be a big part of this team. And I just, I guess I would say that, I mean, if he can figure out the offense and really become a shooter that is in the same league as Herder and Monk, which he's not right now, I, to be fair, he's in a high league, but it's not that league. Um, you know, then at that point, if he's a better three point shooter, or at least on par with them, then he's the better two way player in my opinion and generates probably the best, you know, production as a starter, but I don't know. I was just throwing it out there, you know. But I don't know if you want to comment on that two-guard situation because it's interesting. Again, it's not so much a battle because it's just like they're all going to get used um, and they're all really good. Um, but it's just – you can kind of go any number of ways thinking about it, you know. Yeah, I mean, I don't – Davis, I think he'll be that third shooting guard and he'll remain that third shooting guard. He has a lot of potential. Um, I like Davis. Um, but like you said, he's not a bad three point shooter, but he's not at Monk and Herder's level. And um, I don't know, consistency really. I he's it was his third year last year, missed most of the season. Um, and he was doing well going into that injury, but you know, I we need, I need to see a little bigger sample size. Um, 
I don't know. I just right, Herder and Monk are very proven NBA players at this point. Mm-hmm. And they were big ac- acquisitions for a reason. Exactly. And to you know, Davis will have to do a lot to overshadow them. Um, but that doesn't mean they won't play together. I mean, if Bazemore is he's your backup small forward, had a very bad year on the Los Angeles last season. Um, Herter can play the small forward. Davis, like you said, can guard the small forward. Um, you know, maybe you'll see, you know, a mixture of Herter and Davis uh, on the floor together at the three and the two, or, you know, Davis at, at the three with Monk at the two or something like that. So I can definitely see these shooting guards sharing the floor together um, just because it seems like a couple of them can play the two and the three. Barnes doesn't have that backup and Bazemore is just, you know, showing that he isn't progressing and that he's just the guy from LA last year, then I think we'll see a lot of Herder and Monk at the three. And I think Davis, you know, being that third shooting guard and being third on the depth chart at that position, you know, he has stuff to prove. And if there's an open spot at that small forward position and he can guard the three effectively, then, you know, like I bet he'll want a shot, you know, he'll want a shot at it. So, Right. Yeah. It's again, it's that competition thing. It's just like, this is, this is good. This is good. This is really good to have such dense talent at kind of one position. Um, so I don't know. Again, like you're totally right. Like for Davis to do that, uh, to do anything that I said, uh, a lot of things would have to go right for him. He'd have to be playing on an insane level. Um, but I just think that like, um, again, I'm not putting money on anything, but it's just like, would not, I would not be like, wow, that's crazy. Like, would have never thought that. I would have been like, hey, like, you know, best case scenario happened. And it was a very like, you know, I guess that's all you have to say about that. Because again, it is a lot of things. You're basically trying to overrun two of the biggest acquisitions over the off season. Point yeah. taken. <laughs> but I mean, but, um, you can't, yeah, you can't count Davis out. You, can, you can't count him out. Oh, he, yeah. he like has, we're saying, he's in the mix for sure. He's in the mix. He has a lot of potential. If it, it just if he was playing at that level that he was before the season-ending injury last season, mm-hmm. um, then you know he, he's going to really give Monk and Herter a run for their money for some minutes, really. So, yeah. or even Kent Bazemore at that point. So, definitely. Yeah. Um, speaking of guys that are giving people a run for their minutes, I just uh, the other thing I want to talk about is the center situation. I mean, you know, Sabonis is the starter. Obviously, you will have Rashawn Holmes. He's going to be number two, uh, at least going into things. Uh, everything should be good there. He's a valuable player. He's still one of the better players on this team when you think about it, and he'll be a boost defensively. Um, and then also Alex Len. But one of the things that's really interesting about Alex Len. And, you know, we kind of mentioned this even before he started playing internationally this summer over the last month or so. But it's like, man, if if Len or even we were saying it like if Len or Holmes, if one of them could shoot threes, that's a real like that makes such a big difference in terms of like what this team could be able to do in terms of a backup center. And um, man, uh, in. I don't remember how many performances it was, but uh, this summer, Alex Len shot extremely well. And at Eurobasket in particular, he shot, I think, 37 or 
Um, let me get up the stats. But point being, he he was effective from three in Euro basket again. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how things translate, but it's just like that's a physical game. You know, like a three's a three. Like he's probably been working on it all summer and he's going right into camp with this. Um, I'm not saying he's going to come in and because he had that one year in Atlanta where he shot, I think, 38% from three. Um, I'm not saying he's going to come in and do that. Uh, but, you know, he he he's an interesting guy. And again, this is more of a conversation of like heating up the competition. If he can hit threes, he makes the competition better. He makes things interesting. He makes things tough and doling out minutes. Doesn't necessarily mean he's going to get them. But it's a huge deal that Alex Lynn shot extremely well. I got the stats here finally. He shot um he shot 46.2% in the five group stage games in the one uh elimination round uh game he played in uh Eurobasket. He also played a few World Cup qualifiers, but I don't have all the stats in front of me right now, but at those in those six games on six he went 6 of 13. Um again, that's not a huge sample size, but you're rolling into camp. It's an interesting thing. I mean, Alex Len, I don't know. He's an interesting guy. Yeah, I like Len. Like I said, I think Len will make this roster. You carry three centers just because the dude's an NBA-level player. Um, it'd just be dumb not to have him on the roster. He'll, he can provide valuable minutes. Not, you know, like extremely like exceptional player, but you know he can play that center position well enough where you're okay leaving him in if you need to. And, uh, yeah, and just like Lynn, he's always been, like, that sneaky three-point shooter, I think, since he's been on – well, he was on the Kings last year. Um, was he on the Kings two years ago? I think it was just last year, right? And then he was on the Kings, yeah. like, two seasons before that. So it was, like, his second stint. But, mm-hmm. um, I mean, he only shot – I think I was looking at the stats a second ago – 28% from three last year. But, um, I don't know, I, I feel like he – I feel like he shot a lot higher personally. But if you look at his that season in Atlanta, I think it said eighteen nineteen before he came to Sacramento, he mm-hmm. was shooting a career high in attempts on threes at two point four, and he was shooting thirty six percent from three. Yeah, yeah, thirty six percent. And like every other year, he's like averaging maybe like one three a game, a little less. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. More. Looking at the totals, it's insane. I mean, not like it's a career high two hundred and four attempts, but it's like never once has he shot more than. I mean, the second highest is 59 the next year. And it was not going well for him. He shot 27% that season. Yeah, but it's weird. And when, he, because- when he came to sack and he was doing well in that little second half of the year, he only went. He only shot three. He hit two of them, but he only shot three in the 15 games. Yeah, it's, it's kind of odd, right? But it's like, okay, maybe if you, you know, if like you tell him to shoot three, so he's going to get a little more comfortable with it and, you know, maybe shoot the three ball a little better. I, I don't know. It was like the more op- threes he shoots, the better he is. The less he shoots, the worse he is. So maybe you can experiment with Lynn a little. Maybe you throw him in that corner um, on some plays and try to run some threes for him and get his confidence up. Because if you get if you have a big guy who can shoot a three, I mean, that's huge. And, you know, Lynn's a bruiser and he's that, you know, Ukrainian Eurobasket guy. And, you know, he's going to put in work down low and be physical. I mean, that's great and all, and he can still do that. But I mean, I think even more valuable is if he's seven feet and can hit that three. And so, I mean, why not? He, he, he's, he has at least that one season 
or he's proven that he can do that at a pretty decent clip for a center. So mm-hmm. I think you, I think you experiment it with experiment with it a little. Um, yeah. Won't hurt you're going to yeah. find out pretty quickly what you're going to get out of it. You know, um, he's like, Alex Lynn is like the thing that he does consistently is he's either like a factor from the beginning of the season, like a like I think one of his five years in Phoenix, he was a factor. The rest of the year, he was like a limited role player, real disappointment for them. Um, but you know, he like, he like you kind of know what you're gonna get off the bat. I guess what I'm saying, and it probably comes a lot from that three point shot because it's like I don't know if he he doesn't seem like the type of guy, and this might be kind of a just a, more of a guess than anything, but it's just like, it doesn't seem like the type of guy like he kind of feels like the guy that's like not brimming with confidence is a NBA player. So if he's not hitting the three, he's probably not going to think about hitting it. Like, I think he knows after a certain point if it's not going to drop, you know? Yeah. Um. So it's like, in terms of seeing what happens in camp, it's like, that's a big, big indication of what we're going to get out of him. I guess that's kind of like a rocky way of saying that, but you know, I, it'd be interesting. And I think like you're saying, I mean, like he's just, he's a trustworthy kind of solid, like if you need him kind of guy, just been in the league for a long time. Um, anything else you get from him? That's just, that's money. That is, you mm-hmm. know, that's, that's a bonus. Yeah. And if it can be three point shooting, that'd be great. Um, but you know, Rashawn Holmes, I think it's, it's there's no, Rashawn Holmes is such a talented player. It's hard to say he's not the second center on this, you know, all the way through. Um, you know, it'd be interesting to see, you know, one of the things, and I've never like vouched, I know we put this article out there. People are like, no, 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 you can't start Sabonis and Holmes together. It's like, no, no, nobody said that, but there might be moments where you could benefit depending on matchups. If you need a little more size or something like that, um, it could benefit to playing them together, you know, uh, uh, on the, at the same time, just because you know, the difference between Indiana, because a lot of people point to the Miles Turner Sabonis thing that didn't work. And it's like, yeah, but this is a little different because Miles Turner is this, is a, is a rim protect rim protector. He's a big guy as such. He's the center. Sabonis was guarding fours a lot of the time. Um, if you have Holmes and Sabonis together, it flips because Sabonis is the far less athletic defender compared to Holmes. Holmes is going to be guarding more modern power forwards if he's forced to do that. And again, it would be a matchup thing, I would imagine. I don't know if you had maybe bigger opponents or a bigger front court that you're going against. Um, so I don't even know how often it would get used, but it's a viable option defensively. And if Len, you know, likewise, if Len is hitting threes, then playing two centers effectively together in that case, though I don't think that would be as frequently used i think len if he's hitting threes would be more of a backup to Sabonis filling in for offensive maybe purposes but even if they were playing together that could give them an offensive edge so it's interesting i mean just kind of interesting to think about but you know it seems like whatever you it's like we we said it's just like whatever you get out of len is just going to be icing on the cake and you play to matchups i think in a lot of these situations with bigs but I don't know if you have any thoughts on Rashawn Holmes and that whole situation or what the outlook is on the center situation. I mean, Holmes is the second center. He's the second, you know, string center. 
But I, I don't. I think him and Sabonis are gonna have to learn how to share the floor together. Um, I don't know. It just seems like, you know, Holmes was a big part of this team, and if you can somehow find a way to get him back into, you know, a decent role next to Sabonis, um, no, all the better. Um, I'm not saying it's gonna happen all the time, but like you said, like Holmes can play that four pretty well and you know Sabonis can play that five and so it'd be an interesting um be an interesting look but um, yeah and just be just to be clear about Sabonis it's not I've always said this Sabonis is not he he's only a defensive liability if he's guarding fours as a five he's just like average maybe a tiny bit below average but he's average he's gonna he plays pretty well he's not like a physically gifted defender and he's not like exceptional and he's not like super burly but he does enough. He defends the paint, just kind of staying in front of guys rather than being a rim protector or like being a hands guy or a physical guy. He just kind of plays in the right positioning. He's a decent defender. So like he's not a bad defender as a center. He's only a bad defender when you need to play him against fours. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That was the big mistake. I just Yeah. You know? And that's know. why that didn't work. Mm-hmm. In India. I don't know. Sorry. It'll be interesting. I, yeah. I'm just, but like you're, like you said, it's like you really do have to get, like, it's to be important to have your two, like, not just your two best centers, but like we said, like two of your best players are Sabonis and Holmes, and it, there, there's going to be moments where it would, it would be very, very beneficial if they can find a way to be effective. And again, it's not, it doesn't have to be a nightly dose of that. It's not going to be the starting lineup, but you know, team game. And matchups happen, and there'll be certain things that, you know, Mike Brown will want up his sleeve, right? Yeah, 100%. It'll, it's, yeah, it's a game of matchups, and Mike Brown's a smart guy. He's going to, you know, he, we're going to, I think we'll see some interesting things. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I think it's kind of some of the things to focus on as we head into camp there. Um, you know, uh, a lot of uh, actually interesting kind of narratives to keep an eye on uh, in terms of the roster dynamics. Yeah, it, yeah, it's a lot. There's a lot going into this camp, and uh, like we said, it's gonna be it's gonna be an exciting camp. A lot to learn, a lot to figure out. Um, I don't know. Maybe we'll have a few surprises along the way too. Yeah, but um, I don't know. It'd be interesting. It'd be interesting to hear what fans think as well. Uh, about any of these guys or any other ones that we maybe uh, skipped over. But, uh, you know, <laughs> basketball season's back. It's back, baby. Excited for it. Training camp starts next week, and, uh, you know, the season follows shortly after. So, you got anything else to add, John? I think that's it for now. We'll be back next week, though. That's it for now. Like you, like you said, we'll be back next week. So, um you know, be reporting. Well, I guess it'll be like the first day of camp, but uh, <laughs> we'll we'll have something to talk about. Um, Plenty, exactly. So, well, thank you all for tuning in and listening. And until next time, uh, have a good one.